Welcome to Postscript, the subtext after show, where we talk about things related and unrelated to the week's episode. This is Aaron Alonik. And this is Wes Alwyn. We just got done talking about Apocalypse Now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I, I'm glad I finally sat down and saw the, the whole thing. I'm glad that you tortured me in this way. It was the necessary sacrifice that you had to make to get. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you were trying to spread democracy to me <laughs> by showing me this. Yes. Trying to colonize my brain. Um, <laughs> how many ways can we make stupid jokes about this? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad you're glad that you saw it. Yeah, sure. You know. I think that went well. We There are a lot of really interesting questions to talk about with that movie. And it, it wasn't just a matter of repeating ourselves with what, what we talked about in Heart of Darkness. It actually, there's a lot of new, interesting territory there. Yeah. And I think I, you know, I, I hope I didn't say anything too extreme or things that I'm going to live to regret by saying like, the, this is immoral or what. I, I didn't mean it's strictly immoral. I was just kind of interested in in exploring what happens when you take that and put it on film. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a classic question, right? So I think, and that, and it led to a lot of right. good discussion, I think. Good. Okay. I, I'm, I'm glad you think so because I, uh, I don't know sometimes with me, you know, things... I'm so emotional and I'm so, I'm so swept up by things in the moment that sometimes I'm, you know, I become obsessed with something or, or I have a real strong reaction to something. And then later I'm like, why did I, why was that so extreme? Why couldn't I just look at this more objectively? Well, maybe, maybe you're just a Platonist and you're, you're just, it's not about being emotional, but being so rational that you, maybe you want to protect us. I've never been accused of being too rational. Protect us from the arts. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a real problem. It doesn't, I, I don't know how you resolve that dilemma of this is about education. This is about influence. This is about what builds our character. Every stimulus is important. And like I said, I think there, there's the platonic critique. And then I think there's the Aristotelian defense of a more ironic detachment from the effects of so the mimetic, right? It's not just about the imitation, the, the the fact that we that the arts and the arts are in. He's thinking about tragic poetry specifically. That there's an imitation of the world, a representation of the world, but it's the fact that it induces imitation in us. And for Aristotle, this is very important. We are imitation machines. We are built up out of imitations and identifications. So Plato's critique is very strong. If we are we are subjecting ourselves to these identifications with bad people, we might become bad people. And Aristotle gives a kind of like quasi-therapeutic explanation of this in terms of catharsis mm. and the the sort of inevitability of these um, darker sides of ourselves and the need to uh, do something with that, maybe sublimated. I'm not sure, but yeah, mm. two different approaches, which I think both have to be taken seriously. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, I, you know, sometimes I don't mind playing a role on these podcasts that I, I don't even necessarily agree with, but that saying things that I feel like need, need to be said, or I don't know. I just, I, I feel like people don't think enough about the ethics of, of what they say. They don't question things enough. Mm -hmm. Not, not the people who listen yeah. to this podcast, but <laughs> you know, um, well, you can excuse anything as just, this is a, uh, this is, I'm consuming art or a story or, or entertainment, however you want to put it. Right. But, and, and people don't even think of the, I mean, c consuming pornography of anything is like celebrated at this point. So, and people don't think about the fact that we just have unprecedented access to these images of extreme sex or extreme violence and in ways that no other culture has ever had to face before. And what effect does that have on us? I think pop-up ads on the internet are immoral. <laughs> I, I find them extremely offensive. I do. I do. I find them not only extremely ugly, but intrusive and offensive. Mm -hmm. I find television commercials to be ugly and intrusive. What about 
podcast advertisements <laughs> that we read. Yeah. As long as I, I, uh, I read them from an aerial position and don't have to directly engage in the weeds, then I'm okay with doing <laughs> There you go. <laughs> no, I'm, I just, I don't know. So I, I'm all right being the weird uh, prophet of disaster. I once got myself into some trouble with friends by arguing that, you know, like culturally, maybe it's a little more politically incorrect now, but, you know, a, a public cultural obsession with athleticism and fitness and a healthy diet is perfectly acceptable. But if you talked about that in terms of high culture or, or the quality of your entertainment, people would just think that's snobbery. So like, I think I said something like, you know, we are spiritually fat. We, you know, we consume the equivalent of Cheetos and act like that's enough. Not that there's anything wrong with Cheetos. <laughs> I mean, in moderation, as long as there's other parts of your diet. But the question is if it's just ethically inert and irrelevant right to to, right. to be reading good books or to watch good films and to be very conscientious about what you expose yourself to and to the proportion of your diet that is um empty calories so to speak and the proportion that is more nutritious it's about education and there there are political implications to this you know like the, the old liberal arts argument is that to have good citizens and a good polis a good political arrangement in life we need people with a certain kind of education speaking of advertisements i'm just i'm advertising my <laughs> this is just an advertisement now for liberal arts and for my you know one of my hobby horses but <laughs> my one of my religions but yeah that that's the that's the idea this is about education i i think if people reframed these questions about our entertainments and our leisure time in terms of the concept of education and character, maybe that's something we should do. I don't know. Well, I think by that same token, I mean, in a lot of ways, Apocalypse Now is the most, you know, even on the one hand, I, I expressed a, a kind of a form of condemnation, though that's too strong of a word. I also think it's probably in, in the way that you're describing spiritual fitness or whatever. I think this film is the most morally nutritious I've seen in a long time. <laughs> On the other hand, you know, I mean, in terms of consuming things that don't just make us feel good, but which challenge us in some kind of way or, or, you know, viewing films, not purely as entertainment. I mean, I admitted at the beginning of the episode that I've, I've just been consuming cotton candy escapist films. And there's an argument to be made about whether or not all films are fundamentally escapist or what yeah. what constitutes entertainment, blah, 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 blah. I don't think I'm alone in this, though. I mean, it's a feature of times like these, you know, difficult pandemic times or the Great Depression, far more difficult, where people seek escapism and scarier, challenging movies tend to only be consumed in times of relative prosperity and good feeling. Hence the failure of the Oscars this year, as I think a lot of people have pointed mm -hmm. out. And I don't think there's anything wrong with escapism, and I don't think there's anything unartistic about. When I think of the Great Depression, I think of um, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movies as being like the height of, uh, mm. of escapism and beauty and wealthy people dancing. <laughs> and, and I think those are like some of the most artistic movies of the 30s. So yeah. I've lost my train of thought. The point being, this is good for me to watch, though it raised a lot of questions about whether it was good for me on one level. I think it was also nutritious in the way that you're describing on another level. Yeah, well, I think I, I wish I had actually said this in the actual episode, but I think it is a it is a masterpiece. Yeah. Technically, it's masterfully done. I mean, the, 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 the audio, the visuals and the sound are just incredible. I mean, the 
yeah, after watching Hearts of Darkness and the making of it, I was just like, I'm shocked at how you even get that out of, you know, what his wife, Coppola's wife did that documentary and had a camera, you know, on what they were doing. And I just looking at the footage that she shot and, and thinking about how, wow, how they, how they transform that into the actual movie. It's much more mundane, you know, when you see it mm-hmm. <laughs> before the, before the editing and, and all that, or, or maybe it's just that it's also video recorded, but so it's brilliantly done. And I think it's, I don't know, you know, is it emotionally effective? It's suspenseful enough. It's on the verge of not having enough of a narrative arc. Actually, George Lucas criticized it for that. He was originally supposed to direct this, but they they couldn't. And I, I think Coppola was going to be the producer, but initially they just couldn't get it made. And then by the time they got some interest um, after Coppola started, what's his company? Zootrope? Zootrope, yeah. Got some interest, and then Lucas was busy doing Star Wars, and Coppola kind of assumed that that meant he could direct it. But I think Lucas felt kind of betrayed by that. But it's so it's funny to see him interviewed about this, and just sort of to archly kind of say he's like Francis likes to be very intuitive when he films and not be very organized, <laughs> and, <laughs> and just go out and kind of douche stuff. And and when you do that, sometimes you don't really end up with a narrative arc. <laughs> So yes, this film is episodic and it's setting itself up for a disappointing payoff, obviously, because we know he's just going there to kill Kurtz and then how do you how do you make that right. satisfying at all? And I think it is kind of, you know, I I when people say they're not happy with the ending, I think from a plot standpoint, that's understandable. It's just it's not a plot exciting plot payoff. When you watch a film like this, you have to be more interested in the aesthetic you have to be more ready to be wowed by the visual representations by the sound and also by the like the the thing that i think is conveyed most successfully and is one of the things that makes the film great is just the sense of the surreal and the kind of the psychedelic quality and that's the critique of the war right the critique you know of the war as a form of insanity that's conveyed very well you get drawn into that it's a it's almost a meditative trance-like experience and there's a good quote from robert ebert about this he says in his review i think this was a later not the original review that he wrote but it was something later but he said coppola also well knows as demonstrated in the Godfather films, that movies aren't especially good at dealing with abstract ideas. For those, you'd be better off turning to the written word. But they are superb for presenting moods and feelings, the look of a battle, the expression of a face, the mood of a country. Apocalypse Now achieves greatness, not by analyzing our experience in Vietnam, but by recreating in characters and images something of that experience. So... As a kind of raw experience, it's really hard to say anything about. Right. These are things that they involve the unsayable, ultimately. And that's what can make a medium like this great. It's a tool for capturing what can't be spoken, ultimately. Right. That's a real sign of a masterpiece, too. The perfect use of the medium means that you shouldn't be able to (laughs) express it or describe Mm. it like that dancing about architecture uh, <laughs> comment that somebody made about, I can't remember the quote now, but uh, yeah, I, I also wish I had, I hope I said this in the episode though. I do think it's like one of the greatest films I've ever seen and it's totally a masterpiece despite all of my criticisms of, or explorations. <laughs> right. But to discuss another film of equal moral heft and brilliance, we did watch Notting Hill <laughs> together, <laughs> which has been more my, Far my, more satisfying my speed. <laughs> 
I don't know about that. Really? I don't know about that. Wait, did we talk about this? No, I, I, I agree oh, okay. with you. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I do and I don't. I actually, like I said, as we were watching it, I find a lot of that movie to be so manipulative <laughs> that I'm not, I don't know if I'm on board with that, that ending part where everyone's like doing Tai Chi in the park and the kids run past and oh, la la, it's such a beautiful day. And look, Julia Roberts is pregnant. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Well, you wanted to end it at the press conference, right? Yeah. 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 What what is it with me and wanting to end things like three minutes before the actual <laughs> ending? Well, you could just stop watching at that point, and that would be the ending. <laughs> That's true. I just self edit everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I already do that by closing my eyes at all violent parts of movies. I've forced myself to watch every moment of uh, of Apocalypse Now. Hey, I think that maybe we could get rich off an app where you you pre edit the movie in the way that you want to watch it. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. <laughs> or have a robot do it. You know, have the software do it. Like it, it knows you and your preferences and then just custom edits the film. For me, that would be the blah bar. Do you remember that in 30 Rock? Where <laughs> <laughs> no. the, the, he's trying to impress the new owner of NBC, who's that that cable town oh, yeah. schmarmy family guy. And so he uses Kenneth's idea for putting the black bar at the bottom of the screen so that you don't see any dirty parts. <laughs> and just like cut off, cut, he cut off the half of the bottom of the screen. And he demonstrates it by filming test footage of these couple who are saying to each other like look at us we're totally sexing each other right now <laughs> but you can't see anything because you can just see their shoulders and the bottom of the screen is blacked out <laughs> that's great oh gosh that's why do i keep i'm referencing 30 rock all over the place in these past few episodes that and arrested um, development well my two er texts yeah. for elliot yeah. and kurtz it's it's fraser's the golden bow and uh that mythology for me it's the mythology of alec baldwin <laughs> right, and right. j walter weatherman as <laughs> right, you said exactly. so hugh grant is you know he's kind of a phenomenon in his own right what is it about his his, his hair stick, his, his hair his, as yeah, you said his hair is a phenomenon is kind of humble adorable without being effeminate i don't know i find that also to be at times a little on the irritating yes. side yeah. yeah me too like, like he is very on the edge of being irritating but i think somehow he manages to pull it off that's that's mm-hmm. what I find somewhat interesting about him. Well, what I love in without an English accent, forget about it. <laughs> oh, totally, forget about it, totally. One of the things that occurred to me as we started watching Notting Hill, I, I thought, oh, you know what, we sh- we should have watched was Sense and Sensibility, the Emma Thompson Sense and Sensibility. Mm. Have you seen that? I have, but I would gladly rewatch that. I would gladly right, rewatch should... almost any Jane Austen adaptation. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, and I I think that the, the that. Sense and Sensibility adaptation for an adaptation with a with a traditional movie runtime. The ability that Thompson had to compress that in her script and make it into like a perfect two hour and 10, 20 minute movie is like really remarkable. So I think that's like the best traditional feature film runtime adaptation of an Austin mm. book. But uh, I was thinking about that. And then I was thinking about how in Sense and Sensibility, because of his like Hugh Grant playing the character of um, Edward Ferrers. It's actually kind of the perfect encapsulation of his uh, personality because of the something fundamentally ineffectual at the core of that that causes Eleanor to suffer because he can't get his words out. Mm, Interesting, yeah. Because he is too affable. Right. It actually chips away at his morality. That's very interesting. I don't know. It's just occurring to me now, but I, I think that's what I find irritating about it ultimately right. is uh, self-effacement as a blind for something hollow in the center. Right. By the way, did you see the most recent Emma? I have not seen it I, yet. I like that a lot. How about Love and Friendship? I loved yeah, that. I loved that. I love that. 
We should do that sometime. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to see that again. I saw it a few times when it came out on Amazon Prime. Okay, I only saw it once. I'm, d- I'm due to watch that again. So next time, we are going to do the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, just because we are inspired by uh, Kurtz, who highly recommends that poem. I take all his recommendations. fan. And then we are <laughs> going to do uh, The Wizard of Oz, which is actually Willard's favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> He just had to see of, the man behind that curtain, that's right. didn't he? There you go. Well, I'm glad you made that. I wasn't even thinking about that. That's a great connection. It just comes out. I don't think, Wes. It just... Well, we do a lot of comparative literature stuff on this podcast, so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of interesting comparison and contrasting <laughs> of the Wizard of, uh, Wizard of Oz and uh, Apocalypse Now. Oh, God. <laughs> the ruthlessness of... Dorothy. Don't ruin this for me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know what this means to I mean, me. She essentially uh, is Marlowe. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Don't take my Judy away. Okay, you can't. Right. Forget I ever said that. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank you. Thank you.